0: This is HEC Media.
1: Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we're able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Now, after the initial weeks of the coronavirus global shutdown, we were able to set up remote interviews with many authors. Now, sound quality might be slightly different than our previous podcasts, but they still contain the same great content that you've come to expect. Today, our guest is Rachel Housell hall we spoke with her via zoom in september of 2020 about her newest book and now she's gone by publisher mcmillan rachel Housell hall is based in los angeles and is the author of nine novels and many short stories and essays she's written science fiction mystery and crime stories featuring the character lou norton but the story in and now she's gone is one that really began a long time ago for her
2: when i started it I was like 33, 34, just starting to write, and I didn't know how to write it, but it was important to me because I wanted to talk about uh, domestic abuse. I could get it sold, and no one would buy it. And it took all of my life experience and trauma and all the rest of it health-wise to finally understand how to structure this novel, and, and now she's gone. Here we are.
1: We'll find out more about the mix of magic, intrigue, and abuse in this latest work, And we'll hear about the literary volunteer efforts and the very busy life outside of the page of author Rachel Housell Hall on this edition of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Heather Ash.
0: Welcome to the interview with Rachel Housell Hall. And she is the author of And Now She's Gone, which is Mm. her newest standalone novel. Did we say
2: this was your 10th novel? So there's, you actually. Quiet Storm. View from Here, No One Knows You're Here, the Lou Norton books, uh, They All Fall Down. Oh, wow. And now she's gone. So ninth novel. Oh, my gosh. Did we get
0: Good Sister in there with James Patterson? Nine and a
2: half, because that's a short story.
0: <laughs> Nine and a half. And then we've got then, essays. We've got short stories, yeah. which we want to talk about. Um, they All Fall Down, which came out last yes. year, has been nominated for a Lefty Award, an Mm -hmm. ITW Award, an Anthony Award. Mm -hmm. These are really big accomplishments in the mystery community. So that's really stellar. And now we've got your second standalone. Uh, Yes. And now she's gone. And tell us a bit about, without giving too much away, about the plot Uh of this
2: novel starring your new character, Grayson Sykes. And now she's gone is about Grayson Sykes, who is a new private investigator. She is just starting out, and she gets her first case. And her client, Dr. Ian O'Donnell, is looking for his missing girlfriend, and also the labradoodle that he's named, Kenny G, uh, that (laughs) Isabel has taken with her. So Gray needs to find this woman who actually wants to be missing. And so in her investigation, she goes from Los Angeles. It's another Los Angeles story, the kind I love telling, Mm -hmm. um, from Los Angeles to Vegas, to Mobile, Alabama, to Oakland, in search of this woman who just simply does not want to come back to her life in Los Angeles. And Gray needs to figure out, is it right for her to look for someone who may be in danger especially when she knows about the life of women who are abused and who want to disappear. So it's a, it's a cat and mouse game, but it also discusses pretty important heavy topics like domestic abuse and race. And, you know, it's funny. I always, in my books in Los Angeles, you may have heard that our seasons are weird, but we also have, Fire season. And little did I Mm -hmm. know when you know I was writing this last year that we would have the grandest fire season of all. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Ray is doing all this investigative work under a murder sky, I call it.
0: You brought up Ian O'Donnell. Like I I don't like this man. The men seem to exist on this continuum of unreliability. Mm -hmm. in that you've talked in the past when you wrote they all fall down about our hidden stories and our hidden selves yeah and I really thought you were hitting that especially with men and women's perception of men as they all are great until the moment that they're not yeah can you talk a little bit about that I mean Ian was Ian is your typical like jerk Mm -hmm. right Um, but we also see that in some of the other men
2: Yeah, and Ian O'Donnell, he is a jerk, but he's also a cardiologist, you know. So he gets to be a jerk because we allow doctors to be whoever they are because they heal people, right? Um, We allow Mm -hmm. some men to be worse at things than others because they're hot, but we accept that. In terms of unreliability, in many ways, all of them that I talk about um, from Dominique Rader, who owns the firm that Gray works for, of course, Ian, who, why is Isabel missing? What did you do to her? Did you do something to her? Mm-hmm. Did she run because you are a jerk and she just couldn't stand it anymore? To even um, yeah. Grayson's adoptive father, who he adopted her, yeah, but then he got sick and left her alone, not because he wanted to, but because that happened. And so she's going through life with men who have, and, and of course, her, her ex, who is the mm-hmm. epitome of unreliability. So she's gone through life looking at these men who have, have some way pro- made her promises and have mm-hmm. kept her until they don't or who've <laughs> promised to love her until they can't. So, yeah. you know, it, it reminds me of that, that line that Alice Walker writes about in The Color Purple, you know, a girl child ain't safe in a world of men or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's very true for Isabel, yes, but also for for Grayson,
0: and especially for Grayson because there's no stability in her relationships with men.
2: Yeah, and even
0: where they are stable, she's there's a line in there where where it says she's ready to cut and run at a moment's notice, and yeah. she
2: won't look back. Yeah, unlike Lou, um, my heart broke a few times for for Lou, but Lou mm-hmm. had like her best friends. She had her mom, even if her mom was kind of unhappy with the trajectory of her life, she still had her mom. And for Grayson, she has people, but they don't know who she is. And mm-hmm. all women, I would say, there are parts of us that people don't know who you are in the privacy of your homes. I mean, we've mm-hmm. all been friends with or related to women who are experiencing trauma in the privacy of their homes. And you don't know because they put on the makeup and they put on the smile and you just don't know. And I'm fascinated by that duality because, you know, on certain scales, we're all that. And yeah, my heart broke for Gray at the very beginning. And Mm -hmm. you talk about character development. I wanted her to be very unsure in the very beginning Mm -hmm. and, you know, learn about herself and about her job as the story Went. I mean, she's up against a pretty good foe, mm-hmm. Isabel. She's something mouse And for Gray, her learning curve is like vertical. You know, she yeah, she, yeah. And she's her
0: bringing her baggage, her life experience, uh-huh. which is is fraught. Yeah, she's bringing that into her experience, which makes her a bit of a. I don't think this is spoiling anything. Makes her slightly unreliable, and as a mm-hmm. narrator. Because you do say, well, wait a minute. Maybe her interpretation of, of what's happening is, is clouding her judgment. Right. And even Nick
2: says that to her um, mm-hmm. when she's like, I don't want this case because Ian's a jerk. And Nick says, mm, no, yeah. you can't do that because jerks are our bottom line. That's how we get paid. People mm-hmm. who look for people. Sometimes many of them are jerks themselves. And that's why that person skedaddled. So, yeah, it's all very complex. Um, I think I'm interested in how we all relate to each other and how we're all perceived by someone. And are we worthy of help? You know, Mm -hmm. Gray decides, you know, she has to make a decision. Either she stays on this case and and grows up and becomes the PI that she wants to be, or she remains kind of looking for lost chihuahuas. It's like, what do you want to do in your life? And what Mm -hmm. challenges are you going to face so that you get better
0: you had an inspiration for this book so this is actually the second version is that accurate yeah of this idea Mm -hmm. because this speaking of unpredictable men and you think you know someone this came out of a
2: fairly famous uh, missing persons case oh so a while ago you all may remember this olivia newton john had this boyfriend and he went on a yacht trip took his boat out and he fell overboard and was missing forever. And, you know, Olivia Newton-John mourned and we all like mourned with her. And then he turns up in Puerto Vallarta, like several years later, he faked his death. He faked disappearing. And I thought, Oh oh my God, that's the great story. How one, how do you do that? Two, why would you do that to someone you love? That's like straight jacked up. And so you know, as mystery writers, we tend to have mm-hmm. that little kernel, tuck it away, and it turns and turns and turns, and then I thought of um, a story that. Well, looking around at that point when I was starting to write it, it was called "The Flight of Venus," and it was after mm-hmm. my first book, um, "A Quiet Storm." And mm-hmm. "The Flight of Venus" is a was a famous magic trick that Houdini used to do, making appear. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah! But when I started it. I was like 33, 34, just starting to write, especially mm-hmm. genre, just just trying to figure it out. And I didn't know how to write it, but it was important to me because I wanted to talk about uh, domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by this Olivia Newton-John story. And I was fascinated. I love magic. So making mm-hmm. things appear, I love it anyway. So I wanted to combine all those things together to create this story. I didn't know how to write it, and but I still wrote it because that's what we do. And I mm-hmm. tried to get it um, sold and no one would buy it. And so I didn't throw it away. I trumped it of course. And it took all of my you know, life experience and trauma and all the rest of it health wise and writing the Lou books and all that to finally understand how to structure this novel. And, and now she's gone, here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this and, is you know, a message to those young writers who just want to give up and toss it. Don't ever toss your don't ever toss your work, because just because you don't know how to write a story today doesn't mean you won't know in 10 years. And that sounds far away, 10 years, but books take forever to get done. And this mm-hmm. is a marathon. And if it's a great story, it's worth waiting. You want to tell it right. You know
0: that I am the hugest Lou Norton fan. So when I recommend this to friends, I say, if you like Michael Connelly's Bosch series, which is w- in which L.A. is very much a central character of that story, mm-hmm. you will love the Rachel Housell Hall Los Angeles that is Lou Norton's world. Because it's not what you expect, yeah. And it's not something that most people are aware of. And can you talk about that? Because you grew up in in Los Angeles and, yes. and you talk about both where you grew up and where you live now, how those are influences and, mm-hmm. and even how that part of your lived experience kind of put people off at first in their expectations. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I am a native. I love Los Angeles. Believe it or not, there are some people who are like, you love it? It's like, yes, I do. I mean, of course there's some bad things, but there are bad things everywhere. But mm-hmm. I have you know greatest food good weather and diverse as hell which is so important to me i live south of the 10 freeway which means i live you know in the crenshaw area of los angeles and that's a historically black section of los angeles i live in windsor hills which is part of uh, one of three uh, little neighborhoods called black beverly hills where a lot of affluent african americans live But, you know, just on the other side of maybe less than a mile away, it's still black, but it's not as shiny and glitzy. So while we have the great neighborhoods with the big houses and, you know, Bentleys and all the rest of it, we're still going to the same Ralphs as when we hadn't arrived. When Mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, I grew up down the hill uh, Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. If you've seen Training Day, that's the neighborhood where I grew up. Mm-hmm. and let's you know it's 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 rough but mm-hmm. it's in Lou Norton's series I I mentioned that just because the area is poor doesn't mean that the people there have a poor mind and I right. grew up with very um, aspirational parents who are like just because we're here doesn't mean that we have to be here in here mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't get that, that there are vibrant parts of Black Los Angeles that you don't get to see on TV all the time. You, you see, of course, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills. You see Calabasas now because the Kardashians and Justin Bieber live there. But you don't see South of the Tin, the lives here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like writing this part of Los Angeles because I want people to know that we're here and we jog and we walk our dogs and we wash our cars and over since the pandemic, my neighbors, we've taken to having once a month these pandemic block parties Mm -hmm. where we social distance on our lawns and our neighbor is a DJ. So he brings out his equipment on his lawn and we all just like hang out and dance on our lawns until 11 o'clock at night. We do things like that.
0: And it's so funny because block parties are a very Chicago phenomenon as well. Growing Uh up in the suburbs of St. Louis, we never had that. So when um, Stir of Echoes, uh, that Kevin Bacon uh-huh. movie that came out when, when yeah. they show up at uh, Chicago Block Party. I was like, oh, that's, that's so weird. And then we moved to Chicago and this is the thing to do. So it's that's so funny because I, yeah. see, I see it pop up on yeah. your social media. And I was like, of course, yeah. because this is also what we do in Chicago. And I think it's just neat to see these glimpses of how the experience is the same in a lot of places.
2: Yeah. That's been the challenge for me as an African-American writer. Um, getting especially white women, to read my stuff. I mean, they look and say, oh, she's writing about Black people, therefore I can't relate. And it's like, no, think about it. Blacks, Mm -hmm. Latinos, Asians, everybody else reads Stephen King, and we all get something out of it. I've never been to Bangor, Maine, but his stories resonate with me. Uh, A Los Angeles native Black girl living here. It doesn't matter what I look like. Women are scared of their husbands sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Women are frustrated with their lives and some of them disappear on, on, willingly. It doesn't matter their color. And I'm hoping that people are willing to open their minds to more than just their immediate experience.
0: Remember when the Me Too movement was in its infancy, I was suddenly having conversations with my friends Mm-hmm. where people were coming forward with, well, I was assaulted. Yeah. I was raped. I was yeah. that we'd never had these conversations yeah. before. No. But it was universally coming up that so many women had been traumatized yeah. in their lives, experienced this trauma. Right. Um and right. it wasn't specific to black, white, asian, rich, mm-hmm. poor. Right. It was universal.
2: Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and that fear is universal yeah. for women. Yeah.
2: I was on a panel a few years ago and we were talking about safety or something. And I was thinking how women are trained different from their childhood than mm-hmm. boy children. And I was talking to my husband and I said, explain to me how you get home from work. This is when we used to like mm-hmm. work in buildings. You remember that time? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I get my stuff from my desk. I go to my car. I get in my car, drive down La Cienega, and I'm home. And I said for women, we get our purse, we make sure our keys are in our hands. We sometimes put the keys in between our knuckles just in case somebody is following us. We get on the elevator hoping no strange man gets on the elevator with us. We get in our cars, but before then we look in the back seat to make sure that no one's in that back seat. We pull out of the garage at work hoping that, you know, no one's following us. We're driving down La Cienega He's looking at you and if you have a skirt, he's trying to, you know, in the next car, he's trying to see what's down your skirt and you hope he doesn't follow you when you turn onto your street. Mm -hmm. You pull into your driveway, you hope the alarm is on because if it's not, then that means, oh my goodness, Uh someone's in the house, right? So, And finally, you're home. So just a simple journey from your workplace to home is filled with trepidation for women all the time. And men don't have to think about, I better get my keys out now, wherever you are, before I leave, because I want to just get in my car. And I like infusing that kind of everyday holding your breath just to navigate through life. Mm -hmm. And then add race on top of that. It's crazy, right? It's like, no wonder we're all exhausted because we're constantly, I hope it all works out in the end.
0: Yeah. And that's all subliminal too, or subconscious, Mm -hmm. I should say. This yeah. constant thinking, mm-hmm. and then for a person of color and a woman of color in particular, you have the added layer of race, yeah, layered yeah, layered on yeah. in both your existence and other people's perception of you.
2: Yeah, add on to that the the strange men looking at you and for you. Add on to that your husband, who you're supposed to trust and who's supposed to be a protector and a provider, and he's not right, and he's mm. the one who also wants to destroy you in some way. So Mm -hmm. there are some women, it's like, it's amazing that you're moving through time and space without like straight killing everybody because it's just, it's just too much sometimes. And I wanted again to put that in the book, how Grey can't even have her favorite drink because of reasons, right? She knows Mm -hmm. people are watching her and she knows if she slips up in anything, her end may come.
1: Coming up, we'll find out why our guest, Rachel Housell hall is dedicated to remain active in the community of burgeoning writers.
2: I've always done mission-oriented work. We were raised to play it forward, and I try and do that. I find it to be important, especially because I am writing, working daytime job, being a mom, a cancer survivor. I think I bring a lot to the table when it comes to talking to other people about their struggles and how to do this thing that we all want to do. I want us all to have our happily ever afters and writing makes me happy. Writing has always been therapy for me and it's a blessing that I get to do that.
1: Plus we'll learn about her love of Jackie Collins and hear a preview of her upcoming work all when talking with authors continues from HEC Media.
0: Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. So you've written sci-fi. You've written short stories, you've written essays. There was Mm -hmm. an essay in private investigations investigations. about your experience with breast Breast. cancer Mm -hmm. and and how that impacted your writing. Yeah. And Lou Norton came
2: about. Yes, because of that. It's like, thank you, cancer, but thank you. It's more, thank you, thank you, Lord, and thank you, Mm -hmm. UCLA, for doing your job and keeping me and my baby alive. But, right. it, you know, it provides clear that provides clarity that helps, you know, you figure out what it is you want to do with your life. And in that essay, I talked about that and learning new words because of mm-hmm. cancer and losing right. here because it's like I, I know what being scared is now and writing a story is not that. Right.
0: And you had a very funny, uh, the day in the life of a writer, how bad <laughs> it is. <laughs> where where you're sipping champagne in the video. Yes. <laughs> Ironically, I believe mm-hmm. I'm using that term correctly. Um, and then you, you show it like it is, which is you're up at 5 a.m. Yeah. Sitting at your table. And I know that when you were going to work, because what most people don't know mm-hmm. is you were still working full time. I am still working full time. I am still. Not as a writer. I mean, you are writing full time in your day job, but this is not the same writing that we are consuming right. and enjoying.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the challenge sometimes. And as we get older, I I hit 50 this year. uh, I get a little slower. And that's a little scary because I was very regimented. But I am regimented about getting up at five. I like having structure. I know what I have to do. I know that I only get a finite amount of time. My day jobs have helped me with this journey. One, it frees me to think about writing in a fun way. It's hard to create when you're hungry, when you're scared. And so that day job has allowed me to do that. But it's also helped me to write on a dime. Mm. Someone died, we need a condolence letter. Okay, by when? In the day-to-day. So I'm not precious when it comes to writing. There's no, oh, I don't feel like it because I wouldn't have a job if I didn't feel like writing, you know, right. reports and everything. And also, you know, I'm, I'm committed to my daughter seeing that whoever she becomes, she becomes someone's mom, someone's uh, spouse, that she can still have a part of herself that is who she is. I have always been a writer and I will always be a writer and that is mine. And if that means me getting up at five o'clock and writing until seven and then, you know, doing that every day, then she knows that it can be done. When you were your daughter's age, because you have a teenager now, who were your influences when you when you were her age? Jackie Collins. I loved me some Lucky Santangelo. <laughs> He's like, uh-huh. I want to be an Italian mob princess. How do I get to do that? I want to have this glamorous life, there's but there's still time. Wanted... I know. <laughs> <laughs> Goals. Yeah, but you know, I I I always liked genre. I found that yes it's entertaining, but I learned things about places and people and situations that I would have never learned about. And Jackie Collins bought this whole New York East Coast thing again with a very strong, savvy, sexy, funny, powerful female character. I liked that. And, you know, I dreamt of, I wanted to be like Jackie Collins, but I didn't think it think it I didn't think you could be someone other than Toni Morrison and Alice Walker as a writer it took Hmm. me um until I start writing at Penn Center USA West which is an arm of Penn American Center and that's where I met working black writers that's how I know Gary Phillips because Gary was a board member at Penn and Mm -hmm. I was the administrative assistant there and I met him and it's like you're black and you write genre and you're a writer and I can do this? And that's where it became a real thing for me. It it was him and Jervy Turvalon and Paula Woods and Mm -hmm. all these great black writers, especially LA writers that Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you all are my North star. And that's the second part of my answer. It was just regular everyday uh, writers who just commit to it and love it. And this is what they do.
0: So now you're fulfilling that role that Gary Phillips fulfilled for you.
2: Oh, you think?
0: Absolutely. I have proof of this because not only are you involved in an MWA, so Mystery Writers of America, we love it, uh, and and you continue to be involved. You were recently a judge for the Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Writers of Color, the Sisters in Crime grant that goes to an up-and-coming writer of color. Um, You and Segura were judging for that. Mm -hmm. And you have all these activities that you're volunteering for, even though, as we've just said, you are working (laughs) full time. You have a family. You have that dog. Why is it important to you to
2: dedicate yourself to that? Because we don't get paid for this. Part of it is just who I am. I mean, I've worked with the exception of 2 weeks i've worked in nonprofit all my life 2 weeks i worked at the wb in uh, as an executive assistant for uh, the head of tv and i hated it so i've always done mission oriented work and we were raised to play it forward and mm. i try and do that sometimes i need to say no a little bit more i think next year i won't be so you know saying yes to a lot of things but i find it to be important, especially because I am writing, working daytime job, being a mom, a cancer survivor. I think I bring a lot to the table when it comes to talking to other people about their struggles and how to do this thing that we all want to do. So I think I have something value to say. And, you know, fortunately, these great organizations like MWA and SYNC allow me to fulfill that part of myself, that that mission part. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to, if there are people who do look up to me, i oh, bless you. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled, and I'm honored. And I just, I want us all to have our happily ever afters. And writing makes me happy. Writing has always been therapy for me throughout my childhood. And it's a blessing that I get to do that. What's coming up next for you? So next August, I don't have the exact date yet, will be my next novel called These Toxic Things. And Mm -hmm. it's a story of a young woman. Her name is Mickey, who is basically a high-end scrapbooker. I call her a digital archaeologist. She's a tech writer who works for this company that makes these memory banks. So it's like an Alexa device, but you can put your memories, pictures, and mementos of things and there's a little holograph and so she curates clients memories and this one client uh, owns a curio store Nadia owns this curiosities shop and she has these items that she wants curated and so she can remember and plan back forever and as Mickey's working on this that first day Nadia's murdered the next day and so Mickey's trying to figure out what happened and also continuing on to curate these items because the family wants this. They paid $5,000. So we want our memory bank, but there's mm-hmm. something up with that store and with the curios that Mickey is curating it. And there's something that's weird with her own origin story. So huh. family secrets and haunted things and more of LA because this is LA my jam. And right. yeah, so next August, i'm looking forward to it. i cannot wait they're vignettes i got to write vignettes and it's 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 a fun book well it's fun yes. if you like you know murder <laughs>
0: <laughs> We yeah we're not down with that we're here but we don't
2: oh yeah, yeah.
0: we like murder and stuff yeah. like that absolutely we love murder And it sounds like it's a little bit of, is it a little bit sci-fi? A little bit near future?
2: No. It's very present. It's like this device is maybe like five minutes ahead of present right now. Because augmented reality is not a a thing thing. But it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, we have the Pokemon Go game. It's basically, you know, augmented reality. Mm -hmm. So while it figures and that's a, you know, a nice part of it, the real meat is the murder mystery.
0: Well, it is. It's always about the good stories, regardless of where they take place. So (laughs) LA or outer space or whatever, this is, it is all coming
2: down to the characters. Yep. And I love, I love Mickey. I absolutely love her. She's like a mix of my daughter and my oldest niece because she's 25. So she's in that Mm -hmm. failure to launch kind of generation. Mm -hmm. And it, I love her because of those two, you know, young women that I've modeled her after. So I can't wait for you to, to read it, for everybody to read it. Thank you so much for joining us. And you. I, I'm so happy that you and I got to, despite everything, got to hang out and talk about books and, and now she's gone. So thank, thank yeah. you for doing this.
0: And, and it is, it's really, a, I highly recommend it, especially at a time when I'm having trouble reading. I know a lot of us are having trouble getting through a book. This one was, and, and, and the benefit of knowing the author is I was texting you Yes. <laughs> In the middle of the story. I
2: think because I had someone it. Someone
0: so did it. <laughs> I, I <laughs> think I know. It. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, it's always a nice bonus. Yeah. To having authors as friends. And and it was not, even though I do this professionally, how many books we, I did not yeah. predict this ending, did I? Yes. No, you did not. <laughs> no, I was off.
2: Yes. Um, but it was earned. You know, you not knowing, I, I. I like writing stories. Yes, it may have a twist, but I want to earn that.
0: So. And and you totally did. It it was not out of nowhere. You laid the pipe on that one. Yeah, amazingly. So so this is definitely very complicated. Um, have a notepad, maybe, unless you're going to read it like all in one night, and you might have to. But <laughs> but this was really really fun, exciting, and and chilling because as we've talked about tonight a lot of people are going to find something to relate to in yeah. this particular story. Yeah. And then, you know, you sign up, you get a glimpse of LA that maybe you didn't know. Yes. Um, yes, yes so yes. thanks for being here tonight. Thank you.
1: Our guest today was Rachel Howzo Hall. We spoke with her via zoom in September of 2020 about her newest book. And now she's gone by publisher Macmillan. Thank you for joining us on this episode of talking with authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking With Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host of the video version of this program was Heather Ash. The video editor was Carrie Marks. Supervising producer was Julie Winkle. Production support by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. HEC Media's executive director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking with Authors podcast executive producer is Christina Chastain. Podcast audio editing by Ben Smith. And I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Special thanks to Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.
0: This is HEC Media. You wake up, you get dressed. You prepare for a day of challenging and inspiring young minds, but maybe all you get is frustration and anxiety. You are a teacher. In the Classroom Matters podcast, we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of education. We talk to people such as Kim Bearden, co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy, Ken Williams, creator of Unfold the Soul, teacher of the year Beth Davey, and so many more insightful educators. Because your voice matters, your experience matters, your classroom matters. Classroom Matters with Christy Hool, a new podcast from educate.today. Subscribe and download now.